Welcome to the Brave Little Podcast. Coming from California, here's Aaron Alvarado and David Stauffer. Welcome to the Brave Little Podcast. Joining me from the outer outer space, not just outer space, but Neptune, far away. Uh, we got him on an AM radio uh, channel, which is incredible. Actually, an old ham radio. It's Aaron Alvarado. Aaron, how you uh, doing? Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> I just came up with that line. It's pretty good, right? Hey, what's going uh, on, man? It's great. Uh, it's a great line. I really appreciate it. Um, Aaron, did you ever want to be an astronaut growing up? Was that ever a dream of yours? Uh, maybe. Like, uh, I guess after the first time I saw Spaceballs, I saw Spaceballs and I said, yeah, you know what? I think I want to be an astronaut. Yeah. Did you end up ever seeing, they did a parody of Spaceballs called Star Wars. I don't know if you saw that. But never seen it. I've never seen it. It's no. a riot. Speaking of Star Wars, I'm wearing an X-Wing helmet right now, which is <laughs> the closest thing I have to like a space helmet, like an astronaut thing. Yeah. And I would like to podcast the whole time with this on, but I realized that majority of our, of our listeners aren't uh, tuning into the video feed. So but they maybe should. I shouldn't. They should be. Follow me on Facebook, David Stoffer. There's yeah. only one of me. So, actually not true. There's tons of us. Dozens of us. All right. We're here to talk Ad Astra, which we're a little long overdue. But this is a movie that's absolutely um, deserving of its own episode. Um, uh, it being the primary content of this episode. But after we talk Ad Astra and Brad Pitt in space, we are, Aaron and I are going to talk about our favorite or I shouldn't say our favorite, the films we're most looking forward to for the remainder of the year. Because we're we're hitting Oscar season. Things are, are going to be heating up. Yeah, we're going to be getting movies coming out at a pretty pretty quick clip here. Can we and admit so, that the summer was underwhelming this year? Ooh. What was the best film this summer? Um, it, it was uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's the best movie this summer. Might be the best movie the last five years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, I saw it seven times. Yeah, it's pretty good. Seven times. Um, well, what's amazing there is I, we see Brad Pitt give this incredible performance as Cliff Booth in that film. And uh, and we knew that this could be shaping up to be the year of Brad Pitt because we knew he was making a James Gray film set in space. Um, and that's the film we're going to be talking about, Ad Astra. And I, I was curious to see once this film dropped, would to would that would it solidify to 2019 as the year of Brad? Does Brad own the year? And so that's my first question to you. Having seen Ad Astra now, is 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 it a performance that's in the same? Is it on par with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, or did Brad drop the ball? I will say that Ad Astra is a performance in the same solar system as Once Upon a Time. What? What does that even mean? <laughs> no, they're they're actually they're on par. I would say they're absolutely on par. They're um, he has more screen time in this one in that Astra, but uh, the performance level is. I mean, it's up there with the best stuff he's ever done. Um, I probably think I think that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is probably a better performance, but only yeah. because he's working with better material. Um, but yeah. that Astra is it's one hundred percent pit. He's probably in every scene. Every frame, probably. Yeah, every I frame. Think he's in every frame of the film, yeah. He's in it. I mean, this is not only that, but he, and we'll talk about the choice of whether it works, you know, for you or not, but he's narrating the film. 
Yeah. And it's his thoughts in the form of his thoughts, which can be a dicey thing to do narratively because it could feel very on the nose. It could feel very kind of gimmicky, um, but can also offer some interesting insight and introspective into like what the main character is going through if done right. Um, and so I, I'm with you. This, for me, this cemented Brad Pitt. Like, I mean, not that he wasn't already a, an icon, uh, someone deserving of a, of a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, which is obviously the ultimate sign of success. Um, <laughs> but that like, Brad Pitt took a, some time off from making movies on a, on a regular basis, you know, to focus on production duties, I'm assuming family and other things. Like, it's a guy who doesn't need to be making movies, I think, in his own mind. Uh, now he came out with Allied a couple years ago, which wasn't not, great. Not a great movie. But he's not, you know, he's not pumping out two to three pictures a year. So to have 2019 to have two Brad Pitt films is pretty remarkable. But to have these two films is even more remarkable. I mean, it, this is, I'll just say right out of the gate, I was mesmerized with Ad Astra. I've seen it, well, three times. Uh, some would say two and a half. <laughs> but uh, I, this is a film that uh, really took me by surprise in unexpected but good ways. Um, it's also a film I'll say that I'm hesitant to recommend to everybody. I think for certain people that are looking just for a straightforward escapism, I don't know that Ad Astra is going to be up their alley. And I think that's actually, in, in, that's indicated by the, uh, if you look at the Rotten Tomatoes score, it's got a decent critic score. Uh, the score is 84%, personally a little low for me. Um, I'll tell you right now, Ad Astra is one of the, my five favorite films of this year. So. I'm, I'm, for me, if I'm giving it a score, it's above 90. But uh, the critics gave it certified fresh at 84%. The user score is 40%. People did not like this film, Aaron. Do you understand why? Uh, yeah, I do. It's, it's not a crowd pleaser. Um, it is not a popcorn flick. This is a very introspective movie in every sense of the word. Um, it, it's, it's a slow burn. Um, it's a character character driven story. Um, it's pretty simple. It's this very simplistic story. Um, so there's not much going on. And, um, but I think that's the simplicity of it actually makes it more brilliant because you have a very simple, straightforward narrative, but because, um, Brad Pitt's performance, it excels to something much, much better than it, uh, has any right to be. I think, uh, I don't know if you want to go into it, explain what the story is, but it's, I do. Yeah. I, so I, I, we will get into spoilers, but before we do, um, I, I just wanted both of us to have a chance to like give our overall, like, do we recommend this film? How high are we on it? Uh, what, what are our scores? Um, and, and I say that just because the film grossed worldwide 120 million, but only 47 million domestically. So for me, this is a criminally underseen film. Um, and so I want to encourage people to go see it especially if you enjoy a good Brad Pitt performance, if you enjoy a good space movie. Um, but keep in mind, it's meditative. It's long. It's, it's, a, it's not a story that's in a rush to tell itself. So it may, it's not like this. It's not The Martian. Put it that way. No. The, the Martian Absolutely is like not. the popcorn, fun, happy-go-lucky space movie that's got a great soundtrack. Um, this film borrows from the more... Um, I, I hate to make the cliche comparison to 2001 Space Odyssey, but like it takes its time to consider its place and what its characters are doing. And there are some really slow sections of this film that I thought were brilliant, but I know if I know there's certain people in my life, I would never tell them to go see this because they'd be bored out of their minds. 
Um, but that being said, it's definitely a cinephile's film. And so if you consider yourself a lover of movies, even if they have a little bit of an artistic bent, you should have seen this movie by now because it's really terrific. Yeah, actually, you face the same dilemma. Like someone at work asked me um, if they if I had seen it. And I told him, yeah, I definitely have. And I like was wasn't sure if I could recommend it to him. I basically just said, if you like sci-fi movies, like traditional hardcore sci-fi movies, you're, you're probably going to like this. But uh, I just kind of warned him. It's not it's, there's not really um, it's, it's not really the typical space movie um, like The Martian. Uh, basically, right. I said it's it's not like The Martian. Yep. It's um, even though it's set in space and there are some action set pieces, um, that's not really what the movie's about. So just go in there and be prepared to watch a slow movie. So let's get into the details. So spoiler warnings. We're going to talk plot details and what worked, what didn't for us. Um, Aaron, one comparison I'm seeing people make about this film, they're, they're comparing it to a Coppola classic apocalypse. Now, I think there's obvious reasons to make that comparison. Do you think that's an apt one? Or do you think that's just way off? I mean, if you need a shorthand to to compare it to, then I guess it makes sense. But but really, it's not. It's in essence, it's I, I can see why you draw the comparison, but it's not really. I mean, it's it's it is a man on search in search of another human being that's, that's you know um, doing some bad things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, and doing some very bad things. So in that sense, it is like apocalypse now, but. But it's so much different. I, I, I wouldn't compare the two. Um, other than I guess if you really need a reference point to some other movie, I guess it's just I think it's a lazy comparison. It's it's a, a movie that uh, it stands on its own. I wouldn't necessarily compare it to Apocalypse Now. Yeah, personally, I totally agree. I, I think there's only one commonality it has with Apocalypse Now, and that's exactly what you said. The storyline of going after someone that an asset that was obviously pro in this government right or whether that's in the case of apocalypse now the army or this nasa or they call spacecom in ad astra mm-hmm. um and they've gone not only gone rogue but they are destructive um and you need to send in someone to do something that's really where the commonalities end i've seen a lot of the critics use this as a, as a comparison even positive ones and i just feel like it's it's weirdly lazy because this movie is doing the message of this movie is like it's not at all the message of apocalypse now at all. No, no, I, I don't think that it's a fair comparison. I think it's, it makes more sense to compare it to like any of the modern space movies because that's really what it is. It's uh, what's the one with Sandra Bullock where she's in space. Um, gravity. Gravity. Exactly. I think it has a lot more in common with gravity than it does like a movie like apocalypse now. I mean, there's actually some very, very similar scenes to gravity and I think if you liked Gravity, you're probably going to be interested in this movie. Whereas I wouldn't say if you liked Apocalypse Now, you're going to like Ad Astra. Yeah. Um, but that's just the way I feel about it. So I, I'm struggling to know exactly how to frame this conversation because there's so much I want to talk about. Um, and so uh, f- feel free to, to kick me off my access here um, or, or to, or to uh, take this conversation in a different direction. But the first question, another question I want to get out there is, We've had a lot of space movies and good ones recently. You talked about Gravity, which I thought was excellent. Interstellar is a film that mm-hmm. very much I, I think is um, only it's similar to this film. One, they had the same cinematographer. Um, shout out to Hoyt, my man Hoyt Van Hoytema. I love when people's first names are also in their last name. <laughs> it's my like, yeah, like, yeah. I wish my name was David Davidson. 
Uh, well, I was going to say Stoffer von Stauffenberg. Yeah, exactly. Stoff von Stauffenberg. Yeah, Stoff von yeah. Stauffenberg. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's terrific. So shout out to Hoyt van Hoytema. Um, he, he was the cinematographer, the DP on Interstellar and Ad Astra. And that's one of the great components, aspects of, of Ad Astra is how beautiful this film is. It is Striking. unbelievable. I, I thought it would be yeah. hard to get more beautiful than Interstellar. I actually think this one is. Um it's really incredible, but also I think Interstellar tries to make it a, a very highly charged emotional movie. Uh, it tries to explore certainly the relationships between uh, children and their parents. Uh, there's there's some commonality there. Uh, definitely different results in different directions that these two films take, but both are like very very emotional. Um, do you prefer one of these over the other? I'm curious. Like, is there? Yeah, I think uh, for me, this movie also has, a, it reminds you of the movie Moon, obviously. Yes, I think yes. it's, you see the connections, and I think um, it's a totally different setting than Interstellar because, uh, I mean, Interstellar, you have, you have stuff on Earth. A lot of the movies actually takes place on Earth. Sure. Where Ad Astra, it's almost exclusively in space. I mean, they do go to the Moon um, and Mars. But a lot of it is riding in space shuttles, yes. and that's where I think obviously has a connection to 2001. Yeah, I think a, a lot of these movies have that commonality of 2001. And if you haven't seen 2001, you well, you owe it to yourself to watch stop it. Stop this pod right um, now. Yeah, go find a copy of it. Pay whatever you need go to. Watch, because here's the thing: 2001 came out 50, almost 60 years ago at this point, and you will see how. It still is modern, or it still has connections to modern day movies that are all set in space. I mean, they look the same. Yes. They are all informed by 2001. The choices that were made in that movie, incredible. Um, and I think it's a that's the staying power of a timeless film. Um, but yeah, so there, there are obviously the visuals that are borrowed from 2001. But yes, um, there's there's also the modern twist. Like there, this movie is its own movie visually. There's a lot. There's so I was gonna, so many. I was gonna add, so this was my question, Aaron. What to you was? Yeah. We, we are quick to try and compare to other like films, like space films. My question to you was: What does Ad Astra offer in terms of new? What's different? What does this do that we that isn't like the other space movies? Yeah. So I think uh, for one, it is not action set piece. Action set piece. I think that they purposely made the decisions to not go that route and this is like where they internalize so much of the stuff and you do like you get the inner turmoil of brad pitt the man on the mission you get hit literally hearing his inner thoughts in the form of narration um so you have this i mean he to go into the backstory like he is a tortured soul yes. his um his father was the, basically the world's greatest astronaut and he went on this uh, mission where he would never return to, to visit the planet Neptune um, to find life in outer space. That His, his father played by Tommy Lee Jones. Um, his father went on this mission knowing that he would never return, so he abandoned his son and his family. His uh, Brad Pitt was, I think, in his teenage years. Um, but Tommy Lee Jones, his father, felt this, um, this importance to go out into outer space and find out what's out there to make to find out if we are alone or if we're not alone or what what out what else is out there. Um, so because of that choice, Brad Pitt has has uh, grown up to admir like he he looked up to his father. Um, he wanted to be like him. He became an astronaut because his dad was an astronaut. Yeah, <laughs> he, he says he that in the message to him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He he idolizes his father, but underneath all of that, he resents him. He has 
hatred for his father because he abandoned him and he carries that with him. And so we actually hear this inner turmoil, this struggle that a man who is tormented by the father that left him for a mission um, that was bigger than him. He had a bigger obligation, which is, you know, an obligation to humanity versus the obligation to his son. Um, so we get this like it's an exploration of these these huge themes, um, this this exploration of abandonment and then like a physical exploration of space. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting the way that all this stuff interplays. Um, yeah. So I think like so that's what the story itself. That's what's really interesting to me. And that's what's different about it. Now, visually, we do have some sure. um, really striking uh, interior shots of space shuttles. And what I absolutely loved about this was you have these cramped quarters of a space shuttle and we're in, there's a lot of interiors that take place in like the shuttle bay, but the way that it's shot, it feels so, uh, it feels compact, but spacious. I don't know how he did this. It's amazing because you feel like these people actually occupy the space and they can move around, but they're right on top of each other. And then like, so all that stuff is amazing. It feels so unique visually, but then once he goes, um, once he goes onto the onto the moon, you get all these different visuals, like like you showed earlier that uh, the red lit um, scene. Yeah, they, and there's also on Mars, like, but yeah, yeah, on Mars exactly on Mars. There you go. So Mars has the red tint, and you have the red lighting, and and so you have these artistic choices that were made by the DP um, that turn that really like propel this movie to something beyond just a regular action movie. Like they were really going for something that was visually striking on top of all these, uh, like this very basic narrative story. Yeah, so there you go. So like- It's not without action, right? I mean, it opens up with this beautiful set piece of this international, uh, was it space antenna? Yep, very first sequence, it opens with a bang. It's pretty incredible. Um, And then I would probably say the most action packed it gets in the film is is on the moon. There, you know, on the far side of the moon and the dark side, they they get, uh, there's, they're attacked by pirates. The idea that they're mining, you know, it, it's it's a really breathtaking sequence. Um, yeah. But other than that, it's not, I mean, it's it has some action, but of course, like you're saying, this is not an action movie. That's not what this is about. No, it's not supposed to be an action movie, but they're, um, like you said, the, the, the sequence on the moon, you know, when it first happened, I kind of felt like, man, this is out of place. But like the more I thought about it, it's like, okay, I understand. Like, I understand the choices they're making. Um so the the one thing that I will say is like there, some of the choices the story the director makes are um, they're kind of confusing. Like the the route the story goes yes. is kind of confusing, and, and like getting out of the movie, I just kind of like felt like okay, I like that, that was good, yeah, but I didn't really love it. Um, it wasn't until like the the next the following days that I started to think about the movie more and started to think about the themes that they were trying to tackle and the the way they. Um, approach them the way they talked about basically trauma and the way that they um, dealt with the father-son relationship uh, I just felt like man this movie was really good this was actually a lot more heady than I expected even though we do get scenes like him um, going on a rescue mission to a uh, what was it, like a testing yes it was like a, yes Yes. Some sort of animal testing yes. um, yeah. <laughs> space yeah. shuttle that was uh, emitting an SOS. And he goes over there and they find that the test subjects have escaped. And I mean, a monkey literally bites the face off. Bites the face off. One of the other crew. 
Yeah. I, so we do get we do get scenes like that, which is really surprising when the up to this point Jarring. you're not watching a film that you think is capable of that scene. So when it happens, yeah. you're like, "What am I watching? What is?" And you know, yeah. and it, it didn't leave a great taste in my mouth initially, just because I wondered if James Gray, the director here, was like really wanting to make sure that he made an overt reference to 2001. Or, yeah. you know, like what, what the purpose of this was. One thing, though, the result of that scene, which I th- thought was interesting and I realized was part of the theme of this film, is that, you know, people were sad. That, that was the captain of that ship that, you know, that got killed. But, like, they got over it pretty quickly. Like, they oh, were yeah. like, oh, man, bummer. Like, that's too bad. It's like, wait, what? No, a, a, a space flesh-eating monkey ate his face. Maybe we should respond appropriately here. Like this wasn't a normal outcome, an expected outcome. No, but they move right on. But they move right on. You know who else moves right on? The people on the moon in the rover. When the lieutenant, that's like their escort, j- driving them, he's the security detail. That he just gets popped in the head, and they just t- first off they toss his body, and he literally yeah. is like, oh yeah, Paul. Like they get to the place, like apologies. They still launch, by the way, like. Do you know how many things like delay an airplane like this in this day? You know what I mean? Like a squirrel can run across the tarmac and we're going to be delayed 45 minutes. These people, oh, yeah. their, their flight from the moon to Mars, didn't they on time departure? They lost lives on the way, like their own people on the way there. But that didn't stop the schedule from moving. And I realized later that it's because they're part of the theme here, I feel like, is um, – is this idea of being emotionally detached and having to move on, compartmentalize, deal with it, move on. I mean, every time that Brad Pitt's character is about to launch, he has to do this kind of psychological self eval where this AI system has to determine whether or not he's good to go and he's not too emotional. And as a result, we see these things happen and people are not responding like what I think normal humans would respond. At first, it was distracting. It really wasn't until my second viewing when I realized like, oh, no, this is playing into the theme of the film about like what's what's happening here. And it just like, you know, you just move on. People die like whatever. It Like you just no one really reacts because you got to be you got to be emotionless, especially if you're in space. Right. Yeah, and what do they say? Why is Brad Pitt actually tapped to do that mission? Like in that very first sequence, he falls off the the antenna. There's a huge explosion because of electro uh, mm-hmm. pulses from outer space, and he he uh, falls off the antenna and makes it out alive. For as you know, his coworkers all died, and so they tap him to go on this space mission because his heart rate never raises above what they say 80, 80 no it's 80 80 okay heart, by the so way he, aaron i'm podcasting right now my heart rate is above 80 okay <laughs> like, <laughs> like that's i'm looking at it right now and i'm like yeah. oh yeah i don't think i don't think i'm cut out for space com <laughs> yeah yeah no so that's one of the reasons they they tap him because he's basically emotionless and i think that's because like you said he learned to compartmentalize at some point and um he w- he couldn't he didn't um, deal with his issues, and I think that manifests itself. Uh, his issues with his father and all this stuff that manifests itself in his devotion to his work, because like his dad, he is a slave to his work, and because of that um, that absolute devotion to his work, he he, uh, he loses his wife. Like he alienates his wife. He doesn't, yep. you know, show her the fact. Played Luke by Tyler. Tyler. Yeah, yeah. Um, she came back from. Uh, from her last space or her last relationship she's, with she's someone divorced. In space. Yeah. She's divorced from Brad or Ben Affleck. Uh, ben Affleck. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, 
So yeah, she got mixed up with another astronaut. She can't um, <laughs> help herself. She never gets to go to space, by the way, which I feel terrible about. No, she, she is, does it. That's yeah. terrible. Yeah, that's awful. I was hoping they'd they'd meet uh, Bruce Willis up in space. Oh, it'd be incredible. He's on yeah, the yeah. So. Oh, that'd be him and Buscemi. He's on the asteroid. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh, <laughs> they could break out into song, leave and on a jet plane. <laughs> Um. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I mean that's so, so that's the thing they they tap Brad Pitt because he has that low heart rate he doesn't react to things and that's because he can shut off and and his ability to shut things off the, his ability to to just become a single solitary focused individual allows him to become a great astronaut. But the other reason they tap him is because he has a connection with the person they're trying to communicate with an emotional right. connection. Which is this, right. this, I feel like this is a microcosm of the dilemma that this film presents, right? Is that we want this cool cat, this guy that is, can, can compartmentalize, can completely withhold his emotion. Uh, the things that make him a great astronaut happen to also make him a terrible husband and father and, yep. and a communicative human being, but a great astronaut. But because he's related, he is the son of this, of this rogue astronaut that we want to communicate with because he... Um, they're assuming that he has an emotional connection that they want to rely on that and lean on that emotional connection to, to keep him from not to get too much in the weeds of the plot, but to he stop sending these like uh, whatever these cosmic ray bursts from Neptune are. But the second that he leans into that emotion and goes off script in his transmission from Mars, they shut it all down and immediately remove him from it and don't want him anything to do with that, which is ironic because like, the thing that was going to get his dad's attention wasn't going to be some sort of scripted rote thing. They wanted his son to communicate with his father, but they, but when it came time to do that, they, they didn't want it, which is really, yeah, exactly. They flew too close to the sun. Right. So they wanted that connection because they figured, um, it would allow him to get close enough to, to his father to disarm the bomb right. or whatever. I can't remember what the, yeah, what the actual device was, but Some it doesn't really matter. Um, <laughs> yeah, mumbo jumbo yeah. doesn't really matter. But it, it's it's really fascinating because you you have Brad Pitt who who is like completely shut off from the world and, and nonplussed and just uh, just non reactive to anything yep. to his out, outside environment until he meets up with Donald Sutherland, who is an old colleague of his father. Um, they went to Space Academy together and whatever, and. Um, he kind of opens up to him. So so Brad Pitt kind of becomes more inquisitive about his father and he, he wants to know about their, their history together. And, you know, they had a falling out, falling out and he wants to know why. And um, it's it's kind of interesting because you get a peek into Brad Pitt, like lowering his shield. Like he he had up this this, you know, um, protective plate over his heart because he didn't want to think about his dad anymore. He was he was like over that relationship. It died when once he left to Neptune. But once his dad's old colleague gets introduced back into the scene, um, he allows himself to start feeling again, kind of. So I think that's really like once once he has that relationship with Donald Sutherland, that conversation, uh, Donald Sutherland is supposed to be like his escort to or like his um, uh, yeah. his chaperone. Yes. He's supposed to be a chaperone um, on the mission, but he has like a health scare and he can't go along. So Brad Pitt has to go by himself. But as they're talking, you kind of see like his demeanor is changing. Like he's, for some reason, he feels like the connection with his father is building in, and and it, it kind of acts out as as they go along the journey, um, because then w once he has the conversation with him over once they get to the Mars, um, he has a full on reconnection with his father, and all the resentment comes out when he gets to Neptune. All the passion, or, yeah, 
Or when or when, when they uh, when they stop doing the messages, they stop doing because messages. yes, it's his yeah point. exactly yeah. yeah that's his breaking point like the because he feels close to him again I think I think it's because yeah. he feels close to him again yes. so um, he allows himself to feel all those feelings that he he had uh, put away and he he compartmentalized um, and he has the outburst and uh, at that point he became um, he started his his heart rate started pulsing and, and, and uh, people it was over died. <laughs> And people died exactly, exactly. He tried so hard he not to. He failed the test. Yeah, I know. He failed the test, uh, the psych test, and once he failed that test, he was disqualified, and they tried to send him back. Um, but I thought that so specifically in those psych tests, I felt a real visual connection to two thousand one, um, like just the room that he was in. I felt like that was totally inspired from two thousand one. Um, I'd love to see a side by side comparison because I feel like they. There was a lot borrowed there, and I think they made some deliberate choices. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's the movie itself is just so interesting. I think you you owe it to yourself if you have any sort of interest in these. Yes. It's more of a psychological movie than anything. Oh, Even though it's absolutely. visually beautiful, it's visually stunning. There's some really interesting um, shots of space. And it's, this, the director, I think, um, he made some interesting choices. Like thinking about Mars, or thinking about the moon base, the way that he treats the moon. Um, because this takes place in the very distant future. Um, but the way that they establish the moon is it's an outpost, but it's um, a land that is borderless and no one no one officially occupies the moon. So there's like, and that's where the pirates come in. So the pirates are these people that are fighting over the territories. And um, when they land on the moon, the ver- one of the very first things you, st- you see at the, at the landing base, is all these huge advertisements? Yeah, Applebee's. Like, it's basic. You see an Applebee's, and I think there's like a, um, it's like Panda Express or something yeah. like that, and it's it's basically like an airport. And if you think about it, that's what it would I, be. To me, that makes perfect it sense. Does. Like, if you're gonna allow commerce on the moon, that is exactly what's going to happen. They're they're going to put up bases, or they're going to put up restaurants and stores and malls in the in the landing. The, the landing zone. It's the, it's an airport. It's, so, it's an airport. It, it's just like yeah. It, it blows my. It's funny because again, I've saw this movie more than once, which is which was crucial yeah. for me to truly appreciate it. But when I saw that scene, they land on the moon, and I see Applebee's and Hudson News. I, I rolled my yeah. eyes initially. I was like, okay, all right, this is a little, a little hokey. But the more yeah. I thought about it, I was like, oh no, that's exact. If we're letting normal non astronaut humans go to space and colonize or do right. anything at all right this is what is yeah. happening and well, well think about think about now we have virgin atlantic that is trying to literally go to the moon trying to take people what do you think that they're once they get to the moon not, what do you think they're that not they're taking dirt do? samples aaron they're not doing scientific <laughs> studies i know that much absolutely not no they're gonna absolutely make not. they're gonna so. make my baby back baby back baby back babe chilies baby back ribs sorry um, that's that's exactly, that's exactly what's what gonna happen. Doing. That's so. exactly what they're doing, and it's gonna be yeah. I mean, it's gonna be any way to it's monetize the moon, right? Like that's yes, yes. So this is what's interesting. So I, I mean, I'm gonna just like I'm gonna get into the themes here and what I think is part of actually why some people hated yeah, this film, but also why I think it's brilliant is because people want these happy-go-lucky the Martian type space films that are about the hope of space travel and the possibilities. And like, you know, you look out to the skies and it, it represents just infinite possibility, which is great. It, that's great from a um, from an inspiration standpoint and to consider, you know, our place in this universe. 
But the idea that we would shirk responsibility, whether our own development or even taking care of this own planet, because we're looking out towards the stars, this film is, is totally and wholly critical of that view. We aren't used to space movies that are, in a way, anti-space travel. And what I mean, what I mean by that is Brad Pitt's character on the moon when he sees the Applebee's, his internal monologue, he says, he literally says, we are world eaters. You know, like, we get to these things, we take over, we eat these worlds. And this film, what blows my mind is that it's making the case throughout the movie that space exploration should be left to the robots. This is... This is liter- this, they're taking a psych eval of all of these people before they launch because they want them literally robotic and emotionless before they go. It makes them terrible humans as a result. Um, and that robots have to decide whether the human is even emotionally capable, the heart rate stuff, all that stuff. I mean, y- you see this on the moon where like the guy dies and no one cares and they keep moving on. It's like, we shouldn't be up here. That's that, the, the, throughout the film, James Gray is continually making the case about how that we shouldn't be looking to the stars for what could be. We should be looking internally into the people in our, in our, in our immediate circle, to our friends, our family, our loved ones, to appreciate what we have and to live our best life and not shirk the relationships and the responsibilities because of what could be and the unknown. Like that's what's happening here. Even like Tommy Lee Jones, we, we get towards the end of the film and we have this confrontation between him and his son, Brad Pitt. And even him, emotion got the best of him, the idea of failure, to the point that he became murderous and killed the rest of his crew because he felt like th- since they wanted to go home that they were traitors. I mean, like, and his quote is literally, he says to Brad Pitt, um, he says, we need to find what science tells us is impossible. I can't have failed. You know, and Brad Pitt says, dad, you haven't. Now we know we're all we've got. So the fact that this is a space movie about how there isn't life on other planets, about how we're all we've got, <laughs> like that's not that's not the Martian, man. That's not even Interstellar, yeah. right? Interstellar has got floating yeah. books, bookcases and black holes. That's fun. Yeah. But this yeah. one's like there's turns out there's nothing out here. Like turns out yeah. we should be better human beings and look at who we are. So th- there's a thesis kind of statement or maybe a mission statement at the beginning of the film as part of Brad Pitt's internal monologue when he says, quote, I do what I do because of my dad. He gave his life for the pursuit of knowledge because up there is where our story is going to be told. And the rest of the film makes the case against all of those, like all of those points. Like, should you do what you do because of your dad? Like, is that, is that truly a pursuit of knowledge? Is knowledge only in space? And is that really where our story is going to be told? Because the story is being told right now on earth and that's where you need to be. Which, why the end of the film there is this kind of, it's really an internal monologue as once again, Brad Pitt speaking to himself when he it's, I think uh, in a, in a, in a lesser film, this type of dialogue would be way too on the nose and way too direct. But James Gray, I feel like really executes perfectly here and it shows and it's indicative of the growth of that character of Roy McBride throughout the film. And that quote is quote, I'm steady, calm. I slept well, no bad dreams. I am active and engaged. I'm aware of my surroundings and those in my immediate sphere. I'm attentive. I am focused on the essentials to the exclusion of all else. I'm unsure of the future, but I'm not concerned. I will rely on those closest to me and I will share their burdens as they share mine. I will live and I will love. That's the last 
dialogue in the film and it ends on that. It's incredible. Like brilliant. It's so good. It's a space yeah. movie that's makes space look beautiful, but it's like, it ain't for us. We should focus on the it's people empty. we love. Like that's, inc- it's empty. That's ballsy, yeah. Aaron. <laughs> it's such a risk. And what I found fascinating was when he meets his father, you find out that yes, his dad was looking to find out the, the existence of other things out there, but also he was looking for God. Like he, sure. it's his, his dad is like very, maybe not Christian, but he's sure. very religious. Like he's, he's looking for some sort of creator as part of the answers. I don't think that he's just looking for ET. I think he's looking for a connection to a God, some sort of God. Um, and then when he, when you get, and because he couldn't find that connection, it drove him crazy. Yeah. And that's really, he, be, he basically becomes a nihilist. It's like, what do I have to live for? What does humanity have to live for if all we have is on that pale blue dot? Like, what is what is the point of this? And that's basically when he becomes um, suicidal and homicidal. Homicide, and yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because he wants to destroy it all. Um, because it, to him, to his father, it's just pointless. And the, I, mean, the um, most, I think the most heartbreaking line in the film is one of the first interactions when he encounters his dad on Neptune. You know, one of the first lines uh, he's talking about, he needs to t- telling his dad, we, we need to bring you home, you know, um, and that he's missed him. And his dad says, literally, I haven't thought about you in 30 years. And then Brad Pitt says, I know, dad. And it's like, it's heartbreaking. So this this yeah. pursuit of his, whether, you know, extraterrestrial or, or celestial, you know, it, it drove him mad. It cut him off completely emotionally from his family. Is obviously counterproductive. And there's definitely a reading of this film that's like very much on the religious. Like the pursuit for extraterrestrial life is also the pursuit for a higher power, a deity of some kind, which is interesting considering that last line I read from Brad Pitt's inner monologue when he says that uh, I will rely on those closest to me and I will share their burdens as they share mine, which is a very biblical teaching. The fact that like yeah. what part of what he learned having this experience with his father and going through there is is to share one another's burdens and to be you know, in a word, more Christ-like, right? Which is, which is a fascinating thing. This is not like a pro-religion movie or anything like that, but it's fascinating that the, those principles were learned that way, right? It's, I think, it's incredible. Yeah, it's, I, I think it's, a, it's a brilliant movie. They made some really bold choices and they tackled some themes that um, most space movies would not, would not oh, tackle. Yeah. Most hundred million dollar space movies would not tackle. <laughs> and I think I, I think a lot of the reason why there's a 40% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes is because partly certainly is that it is, uh, it would be boring to some. It's not nonstop yeah, action. Absolutely. It's long nope. and, it, it, and it takes its time. And I know some people, it's just not their cup of tea. And also I think the yeah. message of the movie is not what people go to on a Friday night. They want to see Brad Pitt in space. They're looking for Will Smith in Independence Day type of space, right? They're looking right. for, you know, exactly. welcome to earth. Uh, they're not looking for, uh, turns out, we shouldn't really care so much about the space and like look maybe at the immediate sphere of those around us and, and like people, right. that's not what they want. And uh, thankfully it's what I want. Yeah. No kidding. It's a, it's too real. I think yeah. you have to go to, to space to actually find some reality in, in uh, storytelling. It's just, I think um, it's really interesting because there's, I think currently today there are people that are so fixated on space and space travel that they do treat it like a religion. Oh, absolutely. So I think they, it, it goes hand in hand. I think, um, you know, I love the the exploration aspect of humanity. I think that we should search the stars and we should go to the moon because we can. Um, but there are people that 
are so consumed by it that they think our only hope is to go into outer space. That to me is religious. That's a zealot. Yeah. And I am not a space zealot, my friend. <laughs> no, no. So I think uh, that the, so this movie plays into that. I think there's there's a space religion here on Earth uh, in modern day times. And I think that Tommy Lee Jones is part of that crew. So once he he um, he went into space with that zealotry and then once he figured things uh, weren't there was no there was no great Wizard of Oz um, that he flipped out and. Yeah. And he took it out on everybody else. So, and there's this look. This this is very much a, a movie, a daddy issues movie. Okay, just gotta yeah. be upfront about that. There's like a very, yeah. very literal scene when his he's pulling his dad in the space back to the aircraft, and then his dad tries to get away, basically just to float <laughs> and, and just you know die. And he's grabbing on Brad Pitt's, and he says, "You have to let go. Like you have to let go of me, son." And like both lit, obviously, literally let go of him because he wants to just float away. But also like, you know, the emotionally let go, you know, the metaphor. Right. It's on the nose. But just anyone that has any level of daddy issues know that it will impact you in a very <laughs> real way. <laughs> Let me just tell you, you might it might uh, you might feel some emotions in this movie, but it's not bad. No, no, I think that's part of the it's part of the journey. And I think that's it's what makes it unique, because uh, I just don't I, I the, the reaction that I had the next day and the day after to this movie is, is unlike uh, most space movies, yeah. that's for sure. And I love space movies, but this one hit me hard. Great. Any other, before we go into our, uh, our things we're looking most forward to um, for the remainder of the year, any other points? I don't, I don't want to end on negative no, I, notes, but like, if you're going to put Ruth Nega in your film, please like give her some like material to work with. She's like an yeah. incredible actress, and she was just like just there to get Brad from point A to point B. And it was kind of a bummer. Yeah, so it is kind of a bummer. This is the Brad Pitt show, though. So anyone that's in it has to know that um, you're in service to Brad. Sure, sure, <laughs> sure. But yeah, uh, I, I need more. I need more Ruth in movies. Absolutely. Just, Give me the sequel. I'm I'm here for the sequel of that. Oh yeah. If I knew Latin, I would try and come up with what that would be. <laughs> Bad Astra. What does <laughs> what does <laughs> what does Ad Astra mean again? Uh, to the stars. To the stars. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I think this movie actually should have been called Dad Astra. Dad Astra. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually great. Um, well, great. So I, I thought this film was masterful. It didn't make a profit. I think it cost somewhere between eighty and one hundred and twenty million. And so far, worldwide, it's made one hundred and twenty million. Typically, films need to make two to three exits budget to, to pull a profit. Um, so, uh, look, go see this movie. If you are interested in the themes we're talking about, you like Brad Pitt, you like it's even just a normal just space film. This is it's just a it's really great. I, I thought it was, the, it was a masterful work. And like I said earlier, it's, it's in my top five of the year. Um, Same. Now, I don't know about you, but immediately after watching this movie, did you like me Google to see if Donald Sutherland actually had a heart attack in real life? Because his exit from the film was so <laughs> abrupt that I was I was concerned it was, that it was happening on set. Like it was like it was very very abrupt. And I think um, there's like I just had this playful theory that maybe he didn't really exist. And I think well I thought that same um, thing. He interacted unfortunately with other people and they told him about it. You know yeah but, yeah. But even yeah, Brad yeah. Pitt's inner monologue when he's talking to him he goes why is he still doing this? Basically like yeah. he's this old and what which is really funny coming from Brad Pitt that he's asking that question. Right. It's like well yeah, he yeah. suffers from the same problems that your dad does maybe a little bit more enlightened because he turned around and came back. But like, but yeah, they were about to get on that Mars trip and dude, his heart just, 
I don't know. It just I was, it gave it was out. really I thought it was going to come back to him at some point in the movie and when it didn't uh yeah, I thought maybe it was his imaginary friend all along. I don't know. <laughs> well, there's there's a lot of stuff that kind of points to that, that kind of hints to that. So, yeah. I think uh it requires multiple viewings to flush that idea out. Yeah. So maybe I'll come back to that. Well, great. Well, go see Ad Astra, Dad Astra, Father Astra. <laughs> um, all right, let's talk. Sad Astra. Sad, oh, it's Sad Astra. It's Dad Astra. Some. It's very, very bad Astra. <laughs> but I could have used a little a Tad Astra, a little bit more. But uh, sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> Josh Gad Astra. Okay, I'm gonna stop. Oh I'm, no. I'm done. I'm done. I don't. I'm done. Um, okay, Aaron. We're entering Oscar movie season. We're, we're entering the season where studios release films that they think are good. And then we decide whether or not they're right. Uh, I mean, we tell them whether it's we good certainly, or not. Well, we write letters, right? That's part yeah. of what we do. Yeah. yeah. Handwritten letters to studio execs and they read them. Um, so we're going to talk five or six of the films. Uh, our lists are, are, are varied, which is great. Not, not, a, not a ton of overlap here. But uh, I'm excited to use my Regal Unlimited Pass on a regular. Like, I, I got it about a month or two ago, but I haven't used it as frequently just because there haven't been that many good mm-hmm. movies. So I'm, I'm excited no. to start using it. This is the downtime. It sucks, yeah. <laughs> to be honest. So well, let's, talk, let's talk about the five films on our list. And maybe we'll, let's start with what was just on the outside. Like, what, what didn't make your list? Yeah. So, well, the bottom of my list, I have the reports, Ooh. which... Looks good. It's an Amazon feature starring Adam Driver yeah. and um, who else? Uh, I don't know. You said it looks good, and that's because it has Adam Driver, which is awesome. Uh, that's honestly, right. I, he always I, looks good. I don't know who else. Oh, it, well, it has the U.S. government. Um, yes. Uh, redacted a lot of lies, memos. A lot of, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so much red tape and, and so many blacked out uh, pieces of paper. <laughs> so, yeah, but this one's going to be released to theaters. Um, I think it has like a month-long run, and then it's going to Amazon. Now, this Prime, is the story so. about the uh, the operative that was tasked with investigating. The, there were claims coming through in the, or, you know with, in the midst of the Iraq and Afghanistan war that there were this torture was being done to Abu Ghraib, you know, Abu Ghraib, and as well as a bunch of other places. And so he he was tasked with coming up with the torture report later redacted to just the report. About yeah. whether or not that there was any truth to these claims. Now, spoiler alert: turns out there was some truth, and the uh, the powers that be, it seems, tried to do everything they could with keeping that information out of his report. So, it looks like a good political drama. Can, yeah. Um, can we get Ellen to review this movie? Oh my gosh! Do you think? <laughs> she's gonna... I don't think Ellen's going to see this one. I don't think oh, her okay. friends would well. look kindly on this. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Are her friends mentioned in the just, uh, torture report? I'm just imagining the red carpet at, at the report. She comes dancing like she does the dancing on her on her oh, daytime yeah. TV show. She comes dancing to the red carpet to watch the report. Now, she's a CIA <laughs> operative. Of course, she is. Uh, she has as much blood in her hands. Uh, I mean, that that is that is a rumor. No, that yeah, is definitely yeah, a rumor. No, it's all fact. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she's uh, she's there to parrot the talking points. Uh, I'm kidding. Uh, Ellen seems great. Um, she has good friends. She keeps good company. What else? Oh, yeah. What else was on the outside? So I have Marriage Story. Oh, which Adam is Driver. Adam Driver. Wow. This is the latest Noah Baumbach yeah. directed movie with Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson, Laura Dern, Ray Liotta. So, um, you know what Noah Baumbach does? He does uh, intimate family human yes. dramas. Yes. That's what he does. So uh, New York based always. It seems like. Um, so yeah, this is what it's, I think it's, uh, literally called the marriage story. Yeah. So that's what pretty, it's pretty about. straightforward. Yeah. 
I like yeah, it. I like yeah. it. Don't have to get fancy. It's a story about marriage. There's gonna be hey, it's Adam Driver. I'm gonna watch it. Yeah, and, so. and Scarlett Johansson. I hear they both give terrific performances. She's problematic. I'm out. <laughs> that one was. That one was also just outside my top five. In addition to uh, okay. to Honey Boy. In fact, actually, number six was the report as well. Wow. Our biggest okay. commonality is going to be having Adam Driver on the outside looking in, although I might have one of his movies in my top five. <laughs> um, in addition to Honey Boy, the, the uh, Shia LaBeouf penned and – no, I don't think he directed it. He wrote it. But he plays his father in the semi-autobiographical movie. He looks silly in the stills and the trailers. And Ridiculous. Honestly, I'm looking to have a good yeah. time with Honey Boy. So that's there. The Two Popes looks interesting. Well, you saw – Peanut Butter Falcon, right? Oh, yeah. He's great. Peanut Butter Falcon. Mm-hmm. I guess we haven't really talked about it on the pod, but it's just it's a quintessential feel-good movie. But it's it's really heartwarming but funny. Like, I I thoroughly enjoyed that movie. Let, let's, let's just say it'll that movie will get its due praise when we do our end-of-year lists. How was, uh, how was Shia in that? Shia's actually really good. But, okay. but he's playing someone that's, like, alone and tortured and antisocial. So it plays into, like, how I think his real life must be right now. Um, yeah. But, but he does it I mean, here, really well. Here's the thing about Shia. He's a good actor. He's really good. He's really good. He's super Holes? talented. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Battle of Shaker Heights, which is a Project Greenlight movie. Yeah. Project uh, Greenlight's only made good movies. Um, <laughs> so uh, I'll say I'll, I'll kick things off. My number five is The Rise of Skywalker. So Adam Driver barely made it in in the form of Ben Solo, go. Kylo Ren. Uh, this Kylo. is on there by, uh, honestly, it's just, it's a, it's obligatory. Of course, I'm anticipating it. To be truthfully honest, I am terrified that it's not going to wrap up the Skywalker saga, a legacy of, you know, the nine films, uh, that it won't do it justice. It's a tall task. And I'm really scared because the last the- time J.J. Abrams did it, he made a movie I enjoyed, but it's very safe. And this is not the time to be safe. And I think he's going to be very safe. Um, yeah, his uh, his runway to land that uh, fighter jet is tiny. Just the fact that we have this opportunity to continue to flesh out these new characters, and what does he do? He brings back Palpatine. That's the hammer drop in the mm-hmm. teaser trailer. Mm-hmm. Guys, I'm bringing back mm-hmm. more from the old and not establishing new, which I thought after having Ryan Johnson did such a good job of shedding the old and moving forward with the new, mm-hmm. it's going to be a bit of a regression. But I'm st- still holding out hope. I believe it could be good, and I will be there on opening night. So that's my number five. Right on. So I have for my number five is the movie Midway. Yeah, Midway is like this is the popcorn action war movie. This is like the the, basically the sequel to Pearl Harbor, the spiritual sequel to Pearl Harbor. Um, I mean, just watch the trailer. It looks it looks ridiculous. I mean, this is just like uh, pure unadulterated pro-Americana nationalism, jingoistic. Yes. um, Rah rah. Go and USA. It's on your list. Um, and it's on my list because here's the thing: I liked Pearl Harbor. Whoa. I've seen I've seen the movie Pearl Harbor. You stand for Josh twenty times. Wow. No, give me give me the um, first half of Pearl Harbor. Dude, it's up until yeah, like the attack plus like thirty minutes. Okay, that's a decent movie. You like Cuba, the cook behind the gun. Mm, yeah, we don't talk about that oh, guy that's anymore. Right, more He's... more women came forward. Yikes. Yeah, we don't mention that. that We can mention Ben Affleck and Josh Hartnett, though. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. Sure. Because there's no way they've done bad things. No. No, but Midway looks like just really silly and over the top and like super colorful and um, bad. I'll just say it bad. Yes. But I'm in. Um, My number four is Little Women. 
This is Greta Gerwig's sophomore debut as a behind the director's chair, written and directed. Honestly, I'm not as familiar with the source material. I know there's been three, two or three versions of this, of this told on both uh, the silver screen as well as TV. But look, you got Timothy Chalamet, you got Saoirse Ronan, Meryl Streep, uh, Hermione, Emma Watson herself in there. Uh, it's a killer cast, and I stand for Greta. Greta made one of my favorite movies of the past ten years in Lady Bird, and. I hope, I don't know for sure, but I hope Little Women takes place in, in colonial Sacramento. I hope she continues the thing. <laughs> I hope she keeps things here in Sacramento. Um, I don't know, though, because uh, it looks a lot like the East Coast in the trailers. Um, but uh, honestly, I yeah, I stand for Greta, so I, I'm excited to see that. That's my number four. Yeah, so for my number four, I have uh, the movie 1917. Ooh, uh, World War I, on finally getting love. Yeah, it's just a saving private British saving private Ryan. Yeah, set in World War One. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is directed by Sam Mendes, um, stars Andrew Scott and Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, it's very British, and it seems like it's saving private Ryan. So, I'm in. Yeah, with a little less Matt Damon and a little less Billy Pepper, which is <laughs> Barry Pepper. Yeah, but yeah. sure. Um, <laughs> um, all right, my number three is Jojo Rabbit. Uh, this is the Taika Waititi uh, written, directed, and starring um, film about uh, a little boy that's actually – it's an anti-hate satire, which they keep telling us. But it's about a little that's boy right. that's a part of the Hitler youth camp but and has an imaginary friend that's Adolf Hitler. It sounds like this is a movie that would get canceled, but it's obviously played for satire. It's got Scarlett Johansson, uh, Sam Rockwell, Rebel Wilson. It looks like a great time, looks really funny. The reviews so far haven't been great, so I'm getting nervous. But um, I'll be there for Taika on opening day. So that's my number – uh, three. Yeah, so my next one I have is The Lighthouse, mm. which is uh, Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. Yeah. Uh, black and white, shot on film, very moody, uh, directed by uh, Robert Eggers. He directed Witch. Um, That's right. Yeah, so this is A24, one of their their big movies. Um, has a lot of buzz around it. Um, it looks very art house, and it looks like something that I will – very, very much enjoy. Yeah, I, I think I was in on this immediately upon seeing Robert Pattinson's uh, mustache, and yeah, and the, it's, the pipe it's amazing in Willem Dafoe's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> it's really incredible. Uh, I, my hope is that it, this movie is just two hours of Willem Dafoe making like um, like just random faces, just uh, just yeah. exaggerating yeah. facial expressions and, and repeating lines just, from his uh, past films, like "I'm something of a scientist myself." Um. <laughs> <laughs> if we get that i'll be happy oh, I'd, be, I'd love so. it i'd love it yeah. uh so that's your number three yeah All right, my number two is a film uh i i gotta imagine you're anticipating it's martin scorsese's the irishman uh coming to netflix and allegedly some theaters um this is the <laughs> mob you know crime epic uh with al pacino robert de niro joe pesci's return to the silver screen which is exciting um and it tells the story of i'm trying i don't remember the irishman's name but uh it's uh jimmy hoffa but that, that's pacino pacino plays hoffa uh, the irishman is the other one I, I i get it my mobsters mixed up tony soprano whatever whatever you know it's yeah yeah but uh they're all gangsters i mean it's 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 scorsese and it's de niro and it's pacino like what else do you need seriously i mean this is yeah, I mean, there's a lot of expectations there, but like, I mean, who, I mean, Scorsese's hands, of course, I'm, I'm, I'm going to trust. Oh, Frank Sheeran is Robert De Niro's character. Okay. Frank, Frank Sheeran. Then Jimmy Hoffa is Al Pacino and Joe Pesci plays yeah, Russ, yeah. Russell so, Buffalino 
which what's the runtime on the Irishman? oh it's probably six and a half hours <laughs> no I, I honestly i'm expecting a three-hour movie i'm looking at it now it's three hours 29 no minutes. is that the yep. actual official runtime or is that like that's the official runtime three and a half three hours, hours. Three and a half hours. I haven't seen this um, movie this long since Of Gods and Monsters, the Civil War epic. <laughs> <laughs> so was Robert Duvall? In he there? was, and uh, yep, okay. he absolutely was. So was uh, Jeff Daniels, and there was an in, there was literally oh. uh, an inner like the movie intermission. Intermission. Yeah. They had a break, uh, which was great. Yep, and that's too bad the movie. I don't think there's just... there's no intermission in Irishman, but uh, yeah. the initial reviews of this movie. I'm hearing it's Ooh, pretty special. Using the masterpiece word a lot. Yeah, they sure are. Which is, sure. I mean, what, yeah. I so I love Martin Scorsese. He's probably my number two favorite director, or right up there, number two or number three. Right. Um, but it's been a while since he's done anything on his level. Um, you know, just I can't even think. Uh, Silence was okay. Wasn't a huge fan. Mm. Um, but. I loved Wolf of Wall Street, but that wasn't really. It's not Scorsese you know, per se. It's not Scorsese. It's not Scorsese. I think, um, for me, it's probably been The Departed is since the last great thing he made. Wow. I love The Departed. Wow. It's it's a flawed movie, no, but I think love, it's, I mean, it's, it's obviously great. one not yeah. only one Best Picture, but it's it's a very rewatchable movie. It's, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a movie that has. Um, one of Nicholson's worst performances, but it's still great. It's still great, despite that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Rest in peace, Jack. So yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, Scorsese reclaiming the throne. Oh yeah, it's yeah. I'm I'm a little nervous about the de aging tech that they used to de age them ten years or something, <laughs> which just seems like <laughs> it was funny watching it's Bill Simmons. In the re- he did a trailer reaction to that, and yeah. it was really funny because like. He's sitting there with two of his colleagues, Chris Ryan and Jason Jason Concepcion, and they're trying to like react to the trailer as it's happening. But all, all Bill is doing is being like, "Wait, is that how old are they? Is this the older one or the younger one? They look the same. They're supposed to be young." He's just like confused by it, and so that'll be a fun one to watch with your parents. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, so what's your number two? Uh, my number two is I'm going pure nostalgia uh, here. It's Jay and Silent Bob reboot. Oh no! Yeah, reboot. So. Yeah, it's it's the reboot of Jane Silent Bob. It's a funny premise. I mean, Jane Silent Bob Strike Back is a, is a movie that came out, I think, in like 2001 or, mm-hmm. or two. And so this is the whole premise of this movie is they're remaking, they're rebooting that original Jane Silent Bob movie. Oh um, and so, you know, Kevin Smith got everyone back, all his old his buddies, his old crew, his old crew um, to remake this movie. To show the remaking of this movie, so uh, it's fu- funny premise, and uh, I always have a soft spot for Kevin Smith. Yeah. But my hope is, my hope is this is his last go round. Or I was going to uh, say, my hope is that it reboots his career. It, it well, will, of course, I mean, <laughs> I mean, you'd have to have a career in the first place. Oh, shots fired! You didn't see Tusk. <laughs> No, I feel like he's actually made that joke. I probably stole that from him. <laughs> uh, but no, I, this is I, I love the guy. Yeah. I, his work is not great, but yeah, he's wouldn't he's send a him to space. If, I mean, from an emotional stability standpoint, probably wouldn't cut. I it mean, space. no. If I were related to him, I would not go after him. I would just leave him on Neptune. <laughs> oh, no. I'm leaving him on Neptune. Oh, no. New Neptune's <laughs> far. That's a far away. You have to really so far. love someone. I. 
listen, I'm not gonna take on a rabid space monkey to get no, to him. No, no. That's Those not a battle I'm fighting. They're they don't eat your face. They eat faces. Yeah, face. Not even arm, not even they go for the face. <laughs> not good. And, and no one will mourn your passing, which is the worst. Nope. Mm-mm. Uh okay. So my number one is a film I'm really looking forward to. It's from an auteur filmmaker, one of the greatest living now, and that filmmaker is Ryan Johnson, and the movie is Knives Out. So the trailer is really uh, pretty zany, but it's a cast that is so stellar from like, I mean, you got Lakeith Stanfield playing a bit part. Like that tells you something about the strength of this cast. But of course, Daniel Craig, Jamie Lee Curtis, Tony Collette, Chris Evans. Uh, I mean, there's a lot going on here. I'm leaving off tons of people, but um, it's a classic kind of whodunit, in Agatha Christie style. But the reviews have been raves coming out of the uh, was it uh, Tribeca? No, uh, Venice. Which one was it? One of the early film festivals. People came out, mm-hmm. and it was uh, Toronto. T- Toronto. That's right. To raucous ovation, um, and so it's got a really high Rotten Tomato score, which I'm hoping continues to hold. But I have high hopes for it. And sometimes I just I love a good murder mystery, and I'm not talking about the Adam Sandler Netflix murder mysteries. I'm talking about the Ryan Johnson, Jamie Lee Curtis, Daniel Craig like real ones, and so. Um, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to that. That's my number one. All right, and you mentioned Adam Sandler. Mm. He's in my number what? one. What? Uncut gems. Uncut, Uncut gems. gems. This is the Safty brothers, who are two of my favorite filmmakers currently. Yeah, I like one um, of them. But yeah, <laughs> is it Benny or Josh? Uh, whatever, I prefer, whichever I one acted in Josh. Good Time. <laughs> that, I think that was Benny. Okay. I'm pretty sure that was Benny. Well, yeah. Um, so this is. This is their next movie. It's Adam Sandler starring as a um, diamond district. Like a, it's he's char- they call him the charismatic New York jeweler. So he's like the jeweler to the stars, um, the Manhattan based stars. And so uh, he's he gets mixed up in sort of, some sort of crime, some sort of uh, backdoor dealings. And uh, this is all about him trying to make someone whole again. He stole money from somebody, or he stole jewels from somebody. Uh, but yeah, it's like a fast-paced kind of whodunit mystery suspense action movie set in New York, um, co-starring Kevin Garnett. I love that Kevin Garnett is in this movie as himself. Sure, yeah. People are saying he's awesome. It also has well, uh, he, was it the the Pope um, of New York Sports Talk Radio? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mike uh, his, uh, yeah, Mike Mike Francesa, Mike, Mike Francesa. Mike and the Mad Dog. Yeah, so that's the thing. So it's centered around all these powerful people, including uh, Kevin Garnett, who plays for a yeah. fictional New York-based basketball team. And I, I've, I've watched some interviews. Not, definitely not the Knicks. <laughs> I watched some interviews with the cast, and they talked about – because this – look, if you want grit, New York grit, you go look no further than the Safdie brothers. And the trailer really right. – it has it in spades. But I watched some interviews with the cast, and they talked about the Safdie brothers just casting all the extras and bit parts – People in the Diamond District that work in those shops that are in that part of New York. Yeah. I mean, you know, there are directors who are known for uh, for doing that for authenticity reasons. But like, I love the Safdie brothers doing that and throwing in what looks like Adam Sandler giving a pretty incredible performance. Which is someone when when he wants to, when he's dialed in, when he's done doing these like huge money making Netflix like terrible films. The dude yeah. is like, can be a legitimately great actor. And we've seen that. Punch, punch Drunk, Drunk Love, Love, man. Yeah. Punch Drunk Love. Yep, and Mr. Deeds. Um, yeah. Oh, 
Oh, also, Lakeith Stanfield is in this, too. Oh, that's so he's, right. Lakeith is, Lakeith. is he's part of, uh, I guess he's part of uh, Kevin Garnett's I love the choice. I love so. his, I love Lakeith's choices. So great. Mm-hmm. So always. Great. He always does something. Uh, he actually has a really interesting line in the trailer that they uh, that they left in. <laughs> yeah. Um, you got to watch it because I'm not allowed to yeah, repeat what he Yeah, you can't say those says. words. At least one of them. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, watching that, that trailer in, um, in the theater before was oh before the movie hustlers mm. or hustler that i just saw yeah. no was it hustler or no it was a different movie because it was um of all white audience oh. so when he says that line it was Uh-oh. very quiet in there you could hear a oh, pin drop okay i was i thought you were gonna say everyone started laughing <laughs> no maybe it's better that it was quiet <laughs> yeah yeah Oh, it was before Joker. That's right. Joker. I saw it before Joker. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. That yeah. makes sense. Oh, yeah. It played before so. my Joker screening. Anyway, well. it's a great trailer. You go check it out. I love the Safdie brothers, so I'm super hyped for this one. And the movie opens yeah. wide um, Oh, Christmas Day. Oh, great. So there you go. Yeah, I was going to look up my dates. I didn't provide dates for any of the ones I said, but that's okay. Christmas Day, is that you said wide or limited? Uh, this says it's it just says Christmas okay. Day. I'm it's probably limited because I don't think they're going to be going wide on that. Like, because that's not. Like I'm gonna a say family wide. friendly. I'm saying wide. Gonna, oh, I'm sticking wow. with wide. Okay, all right. Yeah. Five bucks. I'll put money on this. Um, <laughs> you t- are you gonna tell me Adam Sandler's gonna open limited? He is Mr. Wide. I mean, it's just, he's not gonna this, be. Is in this movie. the Christmas Day? Get your, bring your family to the movie to see uncut gems. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I mean, if you work in the Diamond District, uh, maybe. Yeah, that's true. You're probably you're probably not busy on Christmas Day. <laughs> oh my gosh, Aaron! I mean, that's the that's the movie. That's the movie. That's okay. what they're implying. Okay, I don't. I have no idea what you mean. Um, Not me neither. But I love Adam Sandler. Though. Love Adam Sandler, honestly. Um, and I'm excited to see the Safdie brothers uh, at it again. They really make some interesting work. So, well, dude, that's a great list of movies. I'm excited to. You know, yes, we're going to be doing full reviews on most of those, I'm sure. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to that. I'm not sure what's next, but we'll record when it comes out. Any other closing Absolutely. thoughts on the movies that are coming out or on No, Ad go Astra? see Ad Astra. I think go see Ad Astra. Do not go see Hustlers. Yes. I didn't like it. Is it Hustler or Hustlers? I believe it's Hustlers plural. It's uh, not good. I was going to Google that, but then I decided not to. Um, yeah. It, you said it's not good? It's not good. I mean, it's the first like oh, 30 yeah. minutes is pretty fun. It's pretty it's funny. Hustlers plural. Not to be confused with The Hustle, which is the Anne Hathaway Rebel Wilson a remake of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels that oh, came out or the Hustler. that came out three months yeah. ago, and I saw it in theaters. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. Um, it was very bad, but um, anyway. Yeah, so was Hustlers. So skip it. Skip it. Skip it. Jen- Jennifer Lop- Jennifer Lopez though. She, I mean, it- yeah, J Lo's great. She- she's she's a good actress. Okay. I guess. Oh gosh. We were forced to watch. I mean, we got the opportunity to watch Selena in my Spanish class in high school. That was actually part of the curriculum. Hey, I'll, I'll stand up for. No, Selena. No, it's a great That's, movie. That no, Selena you. was a favorite in the Stoffer household. Uh, yes. My my mom and sister especially watched that movie on repeat. Big fans. My mom couldn't mm-hmm. watch the end though because it made her too sad. So in her mind, Selena yeah. is still going, still still cra- still cranking out top ten hits. Well, that Selena was the first Mexican allowed in the Stoffer household. I was the second. <laughs> so. Selena broke the barrier into our hearts and allowed you in. <laughs> God bless Selena. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, that's it. 
people, if you watch Adder after this, hit us up at Brave Little Pod on Twitter. Let us know what you thought. Oh, did you want to read the note from uh, your buddy Jerem? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Let's close out with that. Jerem texted me after the Joker pod. Is that what you wanted me to read? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he just said uh, he he just had a couple of notes on our last pod, if you listen to it. First, he he starts off what I think in a delightful way. He says, uh, Batman Begins is absolutely better than The Dark Knight, and it isn't close. You do not stand alone. So I'm I'm just happy to get the support from our friends, loved ones, and listeners uh, in my quest to open the world's eyes to the fact that Batman Begins is just a better film uh, than The Dark Knight. Dark Knight's still great. It's still a blast. It still has great things, but just as an overall film, top to bottom, it's Batman Begins. Um, and so, yeah, I, I was grateful for that feedback. He also is ex- was excited to talk at Astra, um, and he seemed to be affected uh, by it in the same p- positive way that we did. We talked talking about all the different themes and the choices that were made, um, and to the point that he says he, Jerem says he f- feels like he hasn't fully unpacked it all yet. And I feel similarly. You know, I speak spoke confidently about the themes of the film, but honestly, there's a lot of readings, a lot of things to draw from this. But, you know, what I what I got out of it is what I said. Uh, but I think it's yeah, it's, it's a movie. It's it's a movie that I'll keep on giving. You can meditate on it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, great. Go see Ad Astro, everyone. And that's it for us. Signing off. Thanks, Aaron. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Brave Little Podcast. Hold on to your butts. 